he could have undermined the messaging so much that he can actually control right. uh, exactly what people think. And that yeah. is the that is if our he, job. Yeah. We also reiterated our joint commitment to maintaining law and order along our shared border. Everything's going to be based on bringing our jobs back, the good jobs, the real jobs. What we were starving for was somebody real, somebody genuine, somebody that was actually who he said he was. It's time to make America great again. Join the movement. The Neil A. Caruso Show Podcast. Time to dream big. Informative, insightful, and valiant leadership. Telling it the way it is to make a difference. All right, the Neil A. Caruso Show Podcast on Thursday, February 23rd, 2017. Welcome to the program and thank you for being a part of it as you always are. So, um, a lot to get to, as usual. Um, always a lot of news. We're going to start off talking about immigration because, frankly, that's been the number one story all week and last week. Um, so let's talk about it. What's new? Well, um, you know about the Department of Homeland Security order. If you don't, go to neilacruzzo.com. We have all the details for you. Um, obviously, the left side of the aisle is um, apoplectic over the... Uh, DHS order, and, you know, they're uh, exchanging and name-calling and calling Republicans bigots, and they are, um, they really don't get that it's about securing the nation. Be that as it may, as we all, we talked about that for the last two podcasts into very strict detail, and I got, honestly, I got very passionate yesterday and very, um, very angry on yesterday's podcast when we talked about the Gitmo detainee that was released and fought against us on the battlefield and blew himself up, a suicide bomber, killed people in Iraq. Um, That set me off on yesterday's podcast. And unless we get smart, I'm going to be pretty ticked off every podcast because um, there's a lot of of stuff going on, a lot of crap going on, and uh, it's time to get smart, and President Trump is doing so. Uh, President Trump will speak tomorrow morning at CPAC, the Conservative Political Action Committee, uh, tomorrow morning at 10 o'clock. So um, we will be discussing what news comes out of Trump's talk tomorrow. Uh, Vice President Mike Pence is speaking this evening, Thursday evening. And uh, we'll talk about all that on tomorrow's podcast and wrap things up for the week. And listen, President Trump has um, has a lot to get done and he needs the establishment support, which is difficult, and we're going to talk about that in a moment. On immigration, uh, Rex Tillerson, Secretary of State Rex Tillerson, was in Mexico today. Like I've been telling you, it's a good cop, bad cop mentality, where Trump is obviously the bad cop in this scenario, where Trump is saying things the way it is. He's going to be his bold, brash self, and he's not going to care what other people think about him, as a leader should. Um, Rex Tillerson, as Secretary of State, has to be more diplomatic, 
today with Mexico. Um, let's play you some of the highlights from what happened uh, south of the border today. Rex Tillerson in Mexico. Our visit was forward-looking, focusing on common interests that would advance security and economic well-being. In our meetings, we jointly acknowledged that in a relationship filled with vibrant colors, two strong sovereign countries from time to time will have differences. We listened closely and carefully to each other as we respectfully and patiently raised our respective concerns. Our conversations covered the full range of bilateral issues. We reaffirmed our close cooperation on economic and commercial issues such as energy, legal migration, security, educational exchanges, and people-to-people -people ties. We agreed that our two countries should seize the opportunity to modernize and strengthen our trade and energy relationship. We also reiterated our joint commitment to maintaining law and order along our shared border by stopping potential terrorists and dismantling the transnational criminal networks moving drugs and people into the United States. Similarly, we underscored the importance of stopping the illegal firearms and bulk cash that is originating in the United States and flowing into Mexico. There's no mistaking that the rule of law matters along both sides of our border. We recognize the existing U.S.-Mexican cooperation to curtail irregular migration, both by securing Mexico's southern border and by supporting efforts of Guatemala, Honduras, and El Salvador through the Alliance for Prosperity to reduce violence and stimulate economic opportunity in the region. On this issue, we discuss the importance of fair treatment of all of those in this trend. All right, so well, that got cut off there a little bit at the end, but uh, Rex Tillerson down in Mexico doing some diplomacy. So, all right, one thing, law and order. And President Trump has been very specific on restoring peace to the United States, and it's going to take Mexico's cooperation. Now, yesterday— I said, well, I read you a quote. The Mexican prime minister said, we will not accept Trump's immigration plan. And what did I tell you? It doesn't matter what the hell Mexico thinks because it doesn't matter. It's within our borders. We have control of our own sovereign nation. And no nation can tell another one what to do or what their policy is. So Mexico could frankly... Stay in Mexico. And today, though, the importance of this diplomacy that Tillerson's got to be engaged with is— and Trump said today, by the way, you know, it's going to be an uphill battle. He, he knows. It's, you know, we talked last week about Trump's uphill battles. Well, when you talk about countries and relationships, this is one uphill battle. Because what does he said all campaign? We're going to build a wall. And Mexico is going to pay for it because we have a trade deficit. We spend all these millions of dollars on aid that's supposed to go towards security. And where's the money? The money's not going towards security. If it was going towards security, then we would have a wall. And by the way, in case you didn't know this, that the wall was proposed post 9-11. Now, this is just been talking about a wall forever. But post 9-11, let's talk about, in this era of terrorism, 
the wall was proposed in 2006 and passed Congress. And they began construction of a wall. And they completed part of it. But Congress did not appropriate enough money. And in 2009, when Barack Hussein Obama took office, the wall was nixed in 2009. So the wall's nothing new, folks. Nothing new. I've been pro-wall since I was a little kid. Because it just makes sense to have a lock on your borders. So, the wall, though, involves diplomacy because we need Mexico. And, of course, we talked about all of the um, surveillance and the extreme vetting policies that, ha- that are associated with the wall. But we need Mexico's cooperation because, frankly, Mexico's immigration policies are out of hand. So, if they're going to criticize ours, then I'm going to take the liberty of criticizing theirs. We had Michael Cutler, immigration agent, on earlier this week. What was it on Tuesday? Today's Thursday. And we had him on, and he told us flat out that the drugs flow through Mexico. They flow from South America into Mexico. Drug dealers, gangs, they're com- they come into our country. They flow in through the border because we have catch and release. We have all these open border policies. Not anymore. But we did. And they would come in, and drugs would be sold to your kids. By the way, in my opinion, a very violent crime, drug dealing. Um, Not so under the Obama administration, but anyway, we have moved forward. Drugs being sold to kids. The cartel money that is made in the U.S. gets sent back into Mexico, back to their home countries in Central America. In places like Honduras, where there is a massive, in Honduras, look into Honduras, there is a massive drug cartel problem there. That people are fleeing Honduras and coming into our country for, to relieve themselves of this drug issue. To get their kids away from it and out of the drug business. But the, the money flow is going back into Mexico, into those countries. And is going into their economy. It's a, it's a muddied situation. And so Mexico better get with the program because if they sharpen their immigration policies and close their borders, as they should, by the way, every sovereign nation should have closed borders and should know who's in their country. If every country protected their borders, then the terror nations like Iran and Saudi Arabia... And, you know, Assad's regime, okay, these terrorists then would be shut off at the border and apprehended if they tried to get it. So, that's ideal. But, Mexico has this immigration problem. And they're going through Mexico into our border. Well, if Mexico worked with us, now remember, Mexican President Enrique Peña Nieto, met with Donald Trump, then candidate Trump, back in, I believe it was September. It was before the first debate, which is which was um, September 26th was the first debate. And I believe it was the week before. It may have been a little after, but it was before the election. 
And I remember discussing a debate. I just don't remember remember the date off the top of my head. But Enrique Peña Nieto and President Trump, now President Trump, then candidate Trump, they met in Mexico. And what did they talk about? They had a press conference. And they talked about the need for border security that would help both nations in terms of the drugs, the MS-13 gang in Mexico, national security, but the drugs are the major problem, and refugees, vetting refugees. You know, everyone says, well, we are neighbors with Mexico and we have to be partnered with them. Okay, so let's partner up. Let's deal with this drug issue and the refugees head on. If we join forces, now obviously the United States is much um, more equipped, you would think, to deal with these things, then let's work, but let's work together with Mexico. And let's join forces and combat this drug issue because we can't do it alone. We only have control over the United States. And Mexico only has control over Mexico, but if we join forces, then we can maybe shut off the drug flow from going into Mexico into the U.S. How does that sound to you? Pretty good, right? Basic stuff, um, not that complicated, but Mexico's complicit in this crime. And from what I see, they're not doing anything to combat it. So Rex Tillerson, a negotiator, someone who is uh, in business, an ExxonMobil guy, and he has relationships. And, you know, listen, when you're deal-making, and I read the art of the deal, and with all these countries, there are different techniques and strategies that, that are involved, right? And if you read about it, not just the art of the deal, obviously that is one of the best business books out there that uh, Donald Trump wrote, but there are other, you know, you can read about diplomacy and deal-making in other countries. And it's all relative to government. And if you can treat it like a business and say, listen, our business is the United States, and let's make sure that we get the best deals and that we don't have crime and we don't have drugs coming into our country. We have to protect our country. Well, let's make a deal. Let's say Mexico helps us out. And let's say Mexico does their part to prevent crime from going rampant in their country across our border. Because they can stop it. They can enforce their own laws. And our immigration laws are our own business. Don't tell us what to do. Frankly. Um... Let me also – so Tillerson, another thing – now, the, the main quote that's coming out uh, that's being – you're going to see in the sound bites. Because remember, we play things with context on this podcast, but you're going to see sound bites. And one of the sound bites is, let me be clear – this is Tillerson speaking – there will be no mass deportations. Everything we do in DHS, Department of Homeland Security, will be done legally. And listen. Has President Trump ever said anything about mass deportations? I'll give you a second. No. Well, you know, I heard... No. Look it up. And don't just... 
you know, do your research. You know how teachers always say, you know, Wikipedia's not an actual source? Well, look things up. Look at the whitehouse.gov. Look at trusted sources. And guess what? Trump never said anything about mass deportations. But Tillerson was asked about it, and he said there will be no mass deportations. Well, okay, that shouldn't really be a headline because there's nothing new. The Department of Homeland Security was created to protect the homeland of the United States. And there's never been talk about mass deportations. There's been talk about enforcing the laws that have been ignored for the past eight years and beyond. There's been talk about deporting criminal illegal aliens, MS-13 gang members, sexual assault, con uh, convicted criminals, rapers, murderers. Yeah, let's get them out of here because they don't belong here in the first place, no? So never any talk about mass deportations. Now, We've talked about college campuses in the past. Well, there's a story that I read today that the university administrators in California at uh, CSU and Cal Poly are urging students and faculty to contact campus police if government officials ask for information about immigration status. Now, I'll go on. In response to the two memorandums that uh, that the Department of Homeland Security issued on Tuesday and detailed on NeilAcruiser.com, Homeland Security uh, John Kelly, of course, uh, outlined the enforcement, really just enforcing the laws on the books, and President Trump's policies, which are to enforce the laws. California State University Chancellor Timothy White responded with his own memo to the school community yesterday, Wednesday, reiterating his commitment to, quote, sanctuary campus policies, forbidding cooperation with immigration enforcement and deportation efforts. Sanctuary, there are 300 jurisdictions that are sanctuary cities. And what sanctuary cities really should be called are anarchy cities, are lawless cities because they don't provide sanctuary for anyone experts have told me including michael Culler, who's been on this program that sanctuary cities hurt the illegal immigrants that they're supposed to protect mr cutler told me before that the minority community on the illegal immigrants that are here the illegal immigrants who no information that pass it over to police are given a waiver, a visa, so that they're protected from deportation because the information they give and their relationship, the community's relationship with law enforcement is so crucial. And illegal immigrants then are allowed to stay in if they say, listen, they're law-abiding, and they just want to pass. I know what's going on because they all know in these communities what, who is not assimilated, who is doing criminal action. And by not speaking up, because they're afraid of retaliation, regardless, there are some thugs in these sanctuary cities, so-called sanctuary cities, again, more like anarchy cities or lawless cities, that 
will retaliate if they found out. So let me give you an example. Person A knows that person B is a criminal. And both are here illegally. And person B is selling drugs to minors. Let's say it's heroin, which has caused many lives way too soon in this country in a massive heroin epidemic that has swept the nation. So criminal B should be deported. Criminal A knows that we have it, or let's make it simpler. Person A reports criminal B. And this person, just labeling this person as A, well, he or she goes to law enforcement and says, this person is selling drugs to minors, heroin. Thank you very much. We will not deport you. You have a visa. Criminal B is arrested, put in jail, probably um, goes to court, but criminal B gets out and is released under sanctuary city policy. Whether they don't have enough information or what have you. Criminal B knows that person A reported him to law enforcement. He kills person A. That is a very common scenario. And there's this retaliation. So then... Why would other people in the community report crime if they know that the chances are, under the sanctuary city policies, that they're going to be allowed, quote, sanctuary, and will be retaliated against? They'd rather just keep their mouth shut. So you see what the problem is with sanctuary cities. So these sanctuary campuses are just as dangerous, if not more dangerous. And they're all around the country. This is not just California State University or Cal Poly. These are campuses across the nation where the president sends an email. And I've seen the emails. A president of the university or an administrator sends an email that we will protect all of our illegal aliens. Now remember, the government, which has been completely, let's use a very simple word, they're stupid. Okay, you know how Trump always said our politicians are stupid? Yeah, they're pretty stupid. They pay and give government funds to universities. And these universities take those funds and they give scholarships. They give scholarships to who are priorities or whom are priorities to be to use proper English. Well, illegal immigrants or you know those who coming in on uh, visas and of that nature. Well, what if someone is here, whether it be on a visa or here illegally, commits it could be a minor crime. But even if it's not, they're going to be protected by a sanctuary campus. So now your kids are going to school and not only are they being indoctrinated, as we've discussed in detail on this podcast, 
but they are now possibly on campus with criminal illegal aliens who are dangerous and they can't people can't protect themselves on college campuses there are no guns allowed and what did we see in Ohio State when a radical islamic terrorist opened fire the one person that was able to thwart this prevent further violence was a police officer who had a gun and what was the outrage he used deathly force it was a terrorist on a college campus and the police officer was criticized for using his gun the good guy had the gun in that scenario and by the way the ohio state terrorist it was a it was a knife attack excuse me there's so many attacks in this country it was a knife attack and the officer had the gun to protect the college students, faculty, and staff. So these college campuses that are allowing sanctuary are really not providing sanctuary for the people who spend $50,000 a year to go to that college, are they? It's a mess. Um, let's move on. I want to tell you about um, jobs because really the goal of college is what? To get a job, right? All right, so manufacturing industry leaders met with the president today at the White House. And um, there, I put an article up on my website. Uh, you know, I've been keeping track of these big league jobs. Big league! And uh, I've kept a list. We are up to now, let's see, da -da, 17 big league jobs. And I've gone through it, the list. You have Carrier. SoftBank, Sprint, OneWeb, Ford, Qualcomm, and Apple, Fiat Chrysler, Toyota, Alibaba, Amazon, Walmart, General Motors, Toyota. We continue on to my next page here. Amgen, Intel, Delta, and Lockheed Martin. All impressed with President Trump's pro-business policies, pro-growth policies that amount to as a result, 1,816,700 American jobs created and saved since the November 8th election. Roughly $62.7 billion has been invested in the U.S. since November 8th. And so Trump met with manufacturing leaders and said, listen, we want you to be able to hire American workers. We want you to use American steel, American materials. You know, President Trump is making sure that the wall is being used with American-made materials. He is making sure that the pipe being used in the Keystone and um, Dakota Access Pipelines are being used with American pipe. America first. In fact, he even had... A provision written into the law to make sure that the pipe is made in America. So, all right, how badly, you know, you're probably thinking, how bad are is the manufacturing industry doing in the past? Let's pick 40 years. Well, I can tell you that since the 70s, in 40 years, well, 
the percentage of private sector jobs has decreased 17.1%. Now, that's a result of two things. Automation, sure, but also outsourcing in response to high taxes and increased regulations and government red tape. Why would a company waste time and money by, you know, making, uh, when they're going to be taxed to a very high amount in the United States, when they can go elsewhere and invest in whatever country, bring it back here, not be taxed, and make a larger profit? What's the goal? To make a larger profit. That's what businesses do. So, President Trump said that's not going to happen anymore. And who would know better than President Trump? 70,000 factories has been closed since President George W. Bush's presidency. 70,000 factories closed. That's a lot of American jobs. Trump actually said he thought that it had to be a typo. But he said now everything is focused on bringing our jobs back. And he said that throughout the campaign. So what does that mean? Well, in meeting with companies today, that includes about uh, two dozen, 24 manufacturing leaders today, Dell, Ford, GE, Emerson Electric, Johnson & Johnson, Carrier, Lockheed Martin, among others, Mike Pence there, Chief of Staff writes Priebus, the Treasury Secretary now, Stephen Mnuchin, and Wilbur Ross, the Commerce Secretary. All of these big business leaders... Now, a lot of people on the left think, oh my God, big business, that's a problem. We can't be having this. In reality, they create jobs. So President Trump went over and in a private meeting, he introduced them to the press, in a private meeting going over, okay, we want to repatriate the money that you have stored overseas. We know you have it. All I want to tax it at 10%, which is very low repatriate it, bring it back into the United States, but you have to invest in American jobs. Hire American workers. You have 95 million Americans out of the labor force, which is accounts for the lowest labor participation rate since the 1970s. 13 million more Americans than food stamps. And 43 million in poverty since 2009. So let's get these people off the streets. Let's clean up. This is all part of inner city reform. We talked about inner cities yesterday. All part of inner city reform. Get them off the streets into the labor force. You need labor. You're hiring people who are struggling. You know, back in the old days, people used to work three jobs to support their families. And it still goes on today. But some people are finding... Difficulty getting a job because companies don't want to pay American workers and they're being taxed. And by the way, Obamacare makes it very, very difficult for businesses to hire because they have to pay health insurance that is way overpriced and you can't even use it. And there's the individual mandate. So they have employers that have to pay for their employees regardless of whether or not the employees want or need it. Now, 
This is part of the 200-day agenda put forth by House Speaker Paul Ryan and Congress Republicans. And so, but what's happening now this week, and you've probably read about it, are a lot of protests going on. Some of them are concerned about violent riots. Um, hasn't really happened. It hasn't been peaceful. They've been actually very disorganized. And some of them are pretty guaranteed to be uh, paid for by George Soros organizing for action, which is affiliated with Barack Obama. And, but put that aside, it's very, these protests are very disorganized. They're not on a message. And the problem is, for them, you know, Republicans say, well, I don't care. If they want to be boneheads, then that's fine. Um, you know, on Sunday, on last Sunday's program, uh, I had a in-studio guest, Chris, from Florida, who said that, you know, the country is better with two strong parties. I tend to agree with that because, listen, what happens if a radical person like Bernie Sanders, a self-proclaimed socialist, takes over as president or has any more power? That's a problem to the detriment of the country, and you can never be certain. You know, so I like to stick with moderates. I like to stick with common sense people. And what's going on now is the obstruction from the left over every single thing that Republicans or Trump, really Trump, does. He could say good morning, and to them it means, oh my God, he said good morning. Seriously. He could say hello, and to them, it means that it's a racial slur. They're so backwards. And so, listen, the Republicans, though, have a responsibility to their constituents. What is that responsibility? That responsibility is to repeal and replace the Affordable Health Care Act. Because Obamacare and some of these protesters are shouting things like, Obamacare saved my life. Obamacare hurts more people than it helps. And if Republicans are smart, they communicate what President Trump has communicated for two years, which is increased competition in the private sector to lower health care costs, to lower premiums and deductibles that People cannot even use their health insurance. You have a 118% increase in Arizona. You have over 50% increases elsewhere. And you have increases across the board across the country. And it doesn't help healthcare providers either, by the way. If you like your doctor, you can keep your doctor. It was a lie. People lost their doctors. And it's amazing we still have to reiterate this, that after seven years, Republicans still do not have a plan. So their responsibility here is to communicate their plan, what Paul Ryan and President Trump have discussed, the 200-day plan that, listen, we are going to – you're going to use your own money, self, a self um, health savings accounts, excuse me, and where you could use your own money to go towards your health insurance. That 
you are not, if you are happy with your doctor, you're not going to lose that doctor because we are going to put a plan in place that allows competition, that ensures that no doctor will be lost. You know, Obamacare was set up to fail because what the left really wants is single-payer health care, like Canada. Single-payer health care, another code word for health care for everybody or socialist care. And in Canada, the wait lines are so long that, you know, if you need surgery on your leg, you will be waiting for two months for surgery. At the least, by the way. There are extreme examples in Canada. So, now there are less people in Canada, and there are still problems. So that doesn't work in the United States. What works in the United States is a free market. So that's what Republicans should be communicating and should be ensuring. Because, you know, you have Chuck Schumer and those on the left that are, you know, trying to sound the alarm that they're going to hurt seniors and all this stuff. So what Republicans should be doing this week when they're off from Congress is communicating that effectively. The problem is people don't respect free speech anymore, and they're not allowed to talk. And that's a problem. we got to have free speech in the country because that's what our country's been founded on. And if you weren't going to let people talk, then you're the person with the listening problem. Um, all right, coming up, we're going to talk about someone who was very in favor of free speech um, and someone who we are missing a little bit today. Also, uh, this date in history, 70, 72 years ago, an iconic moment in United States history. So we'll get over, we'll talk about that. By the way, did you know Senator McCain, he made a secret trip to Syria? Yeah, he made a secret trip yesterday to meet with uh, U.S. military officials and Kurdish fighters to discuss the campaign for defeating the Islamic State. I don't think President Trump is too happy about that. I don't think that was smart either. I mean, he's got his own agenda. He wants to be president. It's the Trump agenda. That's what Americans voted for. That's what Republicans have to communicate. More coming up on the Neil A. Russell Show podcast on this Thursday after the break. They're passionate, driven, and motivated to make America great again. President Donald J. Trump and Neil A. Caruso. It's the Neil A. Caruso Show Podcast. A ranger station. I'd like to report a bear hug. Okay. I put out my campfire and Smokey Bear hugged me. So you drowned the fire, you stirred it, drowned it again, and felt that it was cold? Uh-huh. Yeah, he's just letting you know you did good. Bear hug from Smokey Bear. Status update! I'm gonna let you go now. There are many ways to start a fire, but one sure way to put it out. Learn how you can do your part at SmokeyBear.com. Sponsored by the U.S. Forest Service Ad Council and your state forester. Did you just look down at your phone? You did it again, didn't you? You know, you're flying down the road in a three-ton hunk of steel. And a text takes your eyes off the road for an average of five seconds. At 55 miles per hour, that's long enough to travel the length of a football field and cause some serious damage. Turn it off. Trust me. Whatever it is, you'll live. Learn more at StopTextStopRex.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. 
Exciting things on NileCruzo.com. Supporting our bet, getting people back to work, and uncovering corruption and lunacy. Log on to NileCruzo.com. All right, we are back on the Neil A. Kurtzow Show podcast. This Thursday rolls along. Um, you know, the situation in Chicago, we kind of mentioned it briefly yesterday. You know, 57% uh, rise in homicides. Well, President Trump tweeted, and his Twitter account, it really is so powerful. And no one's been able to use um, social media like he has. Um, you know, Barack Obama was the first one to use social media in a campaign. President Trump is using it. As president, and he tweeted out, seven people shot and killed yesterday, Wednesday, in Chicago. What is going on there? Totally out of control. Chicago needs help. Well, I'd say so. Seven people killed in the streets. Imagine that. In one day. You know, I'd send in the National Guard. And Chicago is one of these sanctuary cities, by the way. And President Trump has vowed to defund them. I would defund them. Because unless this mayor, Rahm Emanuel, gets with the program, and he's not going to, then more people are going to are going to be dying as a result of his policies. This is how radical his policies are. They don't hurt them. They tie the police's hands. And this, you know, this is where President Trump, by supporting our law enforcement, by saying, "Listen, we need to give you the resources that you know you need." That's only going to create law and order, one aspect of it. Obviously, there needs to be better relationships with the community, and that's up to the police department. But it's also up to the mayor to communicate more positive messages about law enforcement, and he hasn't done so, speaking of radical people. Um, All right, so let me uh, tell you about what happened 72 years ago today. You know, we talk a lot about military, about veterans on this program. Uh, 72 years ago today, February 23rd, was when our six brave U.S. Marine troops put the American flag on Mount Suribachi during the Battle of Iwo Jima in World War II. And... You know, these were the Battle of Iwo Jima, by the way. Some of the fiercest, bloodiest fighting took place there. I was reading about it today because, you know, I enjoy looking back at this um, history, especially when it involves military. And really a brutal battle. And, and the, by the way, I want to read the, men, the, the men's uh, names who raised the flag. Michael Schrank. Harlan Block, Franklin Sowsley, Rene Gagnon, Ira Hayes, and Harold Schultz. They, the last three, Rene Gagnon, Ira Hayes, and Harold Schultz, survived. But Michael Schrank, Harlan Block, and Franklin Sowsley died just days later after raising the flag. And it's a very iconic photo. And... If you go on, I put it on my Instagram page today. It's a throwback Thursday, 72 years ago today. Six U.S. Marines raising the U.S. flag atop Mount Sarabachi in Japan. Uh, taken by Joe Rosenthal, by the way, at the Associated Press. Won a Pulitzer Prize. One of the most iconic photos of war 
And it was a, uh, they won that battle, the United States defeating Japan. And it's one of those moments that you look back and you remember that the United States fought against imperialism, we fought against the Nazis, and we defeated them. And we prevailed. And these are the men who saved the world. Just remember that. And 72 years later, it's still in our minds. So I wanted to do that because, you know, Thursdays is always like a throwback Thursday. Um, people do that. And, well, that is a big one and an important one as well. Uh, so that's important to note today. I'm just saying stuff about, uh, you know, Kim Jong-un's half-brother um, that was killed um, well, you know, the video came out, and it was very obvious that a uh, chemical weapon of sorts was used, some sort of substance uh, was used on the uh, rag that was uh, that the woman used in the airport. Well, it's pretty clear that uh, there's a level of sophistication involved. There's some conspiracies. Maybe it was Kim Jong-un that uh, killed his brother. Well, they're saying that it was a, a nerve agent used on his face. So in case you're following that story, in North Korea, you know, our enemies today— it's not—I mean, Russia is an enemy of sorts, although we, we could possibly work with them. And that's what President Trump is trying to do. You know, he just doesn't want trouble, trying to have some sort of diplomacy. And our enemies, though, the rising threats that we have, China, an economic enemy, they have more people in their country that uh, contribute to climate change than we can ever imagine, if you want to go there on the left issue. Um, we have North Korea, a major threat, nuclear weapons. And frankly, any nation like Cuba or North Korea, Iran, that have a lack of human rights for its people. Of course, people are quick to say when and Trump's new executive order, by the way, they're saying it's going to be next week to suspend immigration from these nations that do not communicate with us when they're sending people here, when they're coming uh, via plane and what have you. So um, that is expected next week. And, of course, that's expected to be fought in the courts. Um, those nations have no human rights for women and for homosexuals. So if you want to talk about human rights, look at where the money flow is. Money always talks. Where's the money going from Saudi Arabia? The oil that we use in Saudi Arabia. Why can't we be an independent, completely independent nation? Politicians. And again, another reason why President Trump was elected, um, at least a lot of people, that was a reason, was independence from these nations that sponsor terrorism it's a dangerous world and we cannot accept that um i'm just saying something of interest to me in new york city mayor bill de blasio is going to be questioned voluntarily by the feds in the fundraising probe he's being investigated for pay for play a uh hillary clinton uh former uh, clinton aide and uh now the mayor the activist Professional activist, mayor, 
of New York City. Um, I want to leave on this note today. Obviously, there's a lot of news and a lot we can talk about. But I want to talk about uh, a gentleman who passed away today at the age of 66, Alan Combs, uh, a familiar voice in radio, uh, a liberal voice of radio. And Alan Combs and I actually became friendly um, throughout the summer. And I used to talk to him, uh, you know, pretty regularly, email back and forth with him. I didn't know that he was sick. He missed the last week of his radio show. Um, but he, according to uh, Sean Hannity on Fox News Channel, his former partner uh, on Hannity Combs, the two of them uh, prospered there at Fox News, and they put the two opposite views together, the conservative radio talk show host and Sean Hannity and the liberal talk show host and Alan Combs together, and they thrived and really created something special. Comparable to how Mike and the Mad Dog transformed sports radio in New York City, and really for the United for the United States uh, sports talk show radio industry, they transformed it. Well, that's how Hannity and Combs was. And what was interesting about Alan Combs was that he was very pro free speech, and he was some he was someone excuse me that when the riots were breaking out. And people were stifling free speech on college campuses. I had a conversation about that once with him. And he was very disappointed to see how his party was moving. And he said, and he would even, had he said this today, that um, it was almost a left-wing form of fascism. And, you know, of course you have these left-wing rioters, these anarchists that are calling President Trump a fascist and the supporters, uh, fascism supporters, and it couldn't be far from the truth. And Alan Combs felt that by saying this kind of rhetoric, you were just pushing away people from your own party. And Alan, I think, was a little disappointed in his own party and how it was moving to stifle free speech. And Alan was a, more of a common-sense guy. Obviously, he um, was very liberal and believed in his policies, to which um, Sean Hattie and Alan Combs got into a lot of on-air political battles. But um, Alan had told me that uh, Sean and, and Alan were always uh, good friends despite that. And um, listen, getting to know him, um, he set an example for how people should be. That, yes, you can have your political views. And you can be a very staunch advocate of your personal views, whether it be liberalism, conservatism, libertarianism, what have you. And no one, well, very few people support their personal views like Alan Combs, and he really did. He stuck up for what he believed in, and he believed in it in what he, you know, in um, social issues and other uh, liberal policies. But... He also let other people speak, and he would have debates. I actually had a, a very fun, good-hearted debate with him one morning over the summer in his office. And, um, you know, he at least would let you speak, and that he wasn't going to shut you out 
or think that you are a bigot or a racist or a xenophobe or homophobe or all these other phobias that I'm supposed to have. He wouldn't think that of you. He let you speak. He was warm-hearted, kind, humble, uh, and he had a great sense of humor that anyone will tell you about. I sat in on his radio show one evening, and um, he would take calls from people who both loved him and didn't like him. In fact, people that called into his radio show, they more they actually disliked him more than they liked him. A lot of the people, most of the callers disliked him uh, for his for his political views. They of course liked him as a person. They just liked his political views, and they would debate debate him. And Alec Holmes would let you speak. And it sets an example for how people should be. And that despite whatever you believe in, that you are allowed to have your opinion, but you're not allowed to shut other people up for your opinion. And Alan was free speech personified. Uh, I... Talked to his producer today, actually was in contact with him, and um, this happened suddenly. It's actually one of his fill-in producers, not his full-time producers. And I just want to read you what he said. Uh, I know that he would allow me to, to say this, and I know that he was probably listening. He said, the best part of working with Alan was a sense of humor, as a lot of people said today. His show was the most entertaining of all. I told many people how Alan never let politics come in the way of anything. I didn't work with him a lot, but I did enough times understand his true nature. Um, I only wanted to kind of bring this up and talk about it today because I got to know him and he's a really good, he was a really good man. And you cannot let politics get in the way of your life. Um, now, do politics affect Life in a lot of ways, yes, it does. Policies do. But if you look at things with an open mind and you allow people to have their – allow people to speak, you'll be better for it. And maybe you'll learn something for it. And you know where I stand politically because you can tell by the way I talk and, and the way I communicate about national security issues, economic issues, and, and so forth. That's no problem. I don't hide where I stand on political issues anymore because I'm pro-free speech. And that's what the purpose of this podcast and the show on Sunday is, to open up the dialogue and to allow people to express their point of views without shutting other people out, to bring light to issues that other people don't talk about. And when President Trump says, make America great again, that means civility that means kindness that means restoring back to where we didn't have this political divide that has been thrust upon us and you could argue who that comes from the divisive eight years of president obama where we played identity politics we need to move past that and we need to come together and realize that everyone has their views and that if you settle down and realize that everyone has their reason for it, we'll be much better as a country, much healthier as a country. So Alan Combs, uh, unfortunately, 
passed away at the age of 66 today, uh, sudden illness. And uh, we wish his wife and his family uh, well moving forward. Um, all right, that wraps up the podcast today. Sorry to end on a more somber note, but I thought that the message that comes out of what Alan Combs believed in was important. And sometimes by reading into people's lives, by reading into... Like, I, I love reading biographies and autobiographies. You get to know people, and you get to know what people stand for and set up an example for your life. Um, tomorrow, President Trump speaks to CPAC. Next week, President Trump speaks in front of Congress. We are going to break down Mike Pence and President Trump's speeches on, at CPAC, Conservative Political Action Committees. Tomorrow on the podcast, and get you ready for the Sunday show, wrap things up, review of the week. Um, always a lot of news to get to, and I'm sure tomorrow will be no different. So until then, we'll see you tomorrow. God bless America. The Neil A. Crusoe Show podcast is a production of Crusoe Enterprises, engaging, informing, and entertaining, passion-driven, factual content that makes a difference following Neil A. Crusoe on social media. And log on to neilacrusoe.com to sign up for Crusoe's comments, newsletters, and be the first to know.